Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. cease this conversation i will probably have to hit this record button. you don't want to okay. talk yeah. about a uh, high you don't want to talk about the a high phase are we recording right this now is, this is I'm literally gonna, the most family friendly episode uh, we'll indiana ever jones this is the episode where i could see just like random people i only kind of know like i'm like yeah listen about raider and the if first you go thing. on deviant art and and cross-reference indiana jones x a i bet you can find <laughs> some really interesting <laughs> oh, pictures sure. that way well <laughs> pretty much all i'm seeing is one of uh uh, tote the guy whose face melts at the end <laughs> that's actually very <laughs> funny that's very good <laughs> that's a good okay. point though aaron like what are the chances that this becomes the most listened to episode within almost like, certain yeah. a week? you yeah, know for sure. you know my tactics uh you are listening to try love thank you for doing it we are a literal roundtable podcast uh, about movies for this episode my name is jason daphnis i am a shadowy re- reflection of you and you can find me on twitter at nintendoofus I'm Cody Narvison. Uh, you know, I don't know why we need to demonize snakes so much, uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. If you hear fatigue in my voice, it's not the years, it's the mileage. I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Uh, I am Aaron. I'm the monarch of the sea and the ruler of the coup. You can find me on Twitter at RB, please. You were really was, excited about that one. It's worth it. That I was, was good. really excited was, about that one. I wasn't going to sing it, you know, because I just can't do you it should've. justice. Yeah, but how about we do uh, another um, like how Cody read the lyrics to the police story theme song? I would like to get you, Aaron, separately on mic singing the John Reese Davies uh, British Imperial song. I don't sing. Not, I think I think about that, but I, I think about Cody's sing. specific cadence of recitation of that song literally all the time, and like whenever <laughs> it did I'm not reading match lyrics, up, it's it did in not my match head. up with the melody at all. No, uh, it was it was, no, it was glorious. There's nothing sing-songy about it. Uh, it's a low bar to clear, Aaron. I think you should uh, belly up to the mic there, Big Daddy. Fun, fun fact, because we're not ever going to get back here, but uh, Harry's quotation about the uh, years and mileage uh, was uh, a Harrison Ford original, not in the original script. He came up with that Oh, wow. One. That's extremely good. It's a very, Research very good line. King. Yes. Actually, that, it kind of makes sense, given that, um, well, we'll get into it. Indeed. Uh, so everybody go back to l- and listen to our episode 25 on Police Story from 1985. Uh, that is from before the before times. But today's episode is on a movie that is not and likely will not be playing at the trial end to our own knowledge. But God, it would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, we're taking a little bit of a different tack because the trial ends programming over the next few weeks is going to be covering movies that we have already covered. The Wong Kar Wai series and a series of Bruce Lee films uh, that we've delved into and I know a few others here and there. Um, but we decided to take this time and just have a little bit of uh, boys pickies. Uh, I'm starting... <laughs> I'm I'm choosing I'm choosing a film that uh, has meant a lot to me over the years that I was introduced to very young and that has become very important uh, in my understanding of and admiration for movies. We're talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, the 1981 film directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, Aaron, you want to tell us a little bit about what this movie is about? 
Indeed. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you What do you even say about Raiders of the Lost Ark? Thank you very much. That's a are, fine no, stop, no, come on. No, come on. Uh, uh, you, okay, now my, I had momentum. <laughs> uh, okay, here, here we go. Harrison Ford stars as Indiana Jones. Karen Allen as Marion Ravenwood. Uh, Paul Freeman as Renee Belloc, uh, who's kind of Jones's rival. And John Reese davies as Sala, a uh, friend of Jones who kind of helps him out on his adventure. Uh, anybody else who everybody loves who I'm missing here in the cast? I think those four are kind of the core. Ben, I would ben say. Elliott as sure. is it Ben Elliott who's Marcus? Uh, you know, I, don't know. I wasn't listening. Were you list? Did you list Alfred Molina? I, he's only in the one yes. scene I know, but he's important enough. Okay, well, Alfred as Molina I said, as a character at the very beginning who uh, gets a spear through his eye. Uh, this he, is, he, he is in brown yeah. face, which is which is troubling. But you do but love to see slight, Alfred slight, Molina. Slight, slight sweaty yeah. and tan. I don't know if it's like explicitly brown he face, but definitely is putting on it. Clearly an speaking Spanish. He's speaking Jovitos. Yeah. He's not, but not not literal. But yes, he is not. Uh, he is playing out of his uh, ethnicity. Uh, let's say, uh, for yes, sure, I agree. Uh, this is the first film in a series of films about the great archaeologist, uh, academic adventurer Indiana Jones, uh, and it follows him as he races the forces of Nazi Germany uh, and particularly a rival archaeologist named Belloc in an attempt to find the fabled Ark of the Covenant, the chest that was used uh, to contain the broken Ten Commandments and uh, itself an object of massive power. Along the way, he reunites with Marion Ravenwood, a bar owner uh, stranded in a remote village in Nepal, who Jones once had an extremely ethically questionable relationship with. Uh, and the two work together to uh, stop the Nazis from delivering the Ark of the Covenant to Adolf Hitler. Uh, originally conceived by George Lucas and kind of stemming from a conversation that Lucas and Spielberg had on vacation, where Spielberg admitted that he had always wanted to make a James Bond film. Raiders of the Lost Ark was Spielberg's attempt at making a film that emulated the black and white adventure serials that he had grown up with. Uh, the film was also... Uh, Spielberg's first film after the relative disappointment of his World War II movie, 1941, which wasn't entirely a critical or financial failure, but did fail to live up to the expectations that he has set with his previous two films, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Jaws, both of which, Jaws especially, uh, had helped to define modern blockbuster filmmaking. Um, like Jaws and Close Encounters, however, 1941 was also massively over budget and also shot massively over schedule. Uh, so kind of feeling disappointment at this and uh, fearing specifically what another bloated film production would do to the reputation of his friend and partner on the film, George Lucas, uh, Spielberg promised to keep the film's budget and timeline on schedule. He would later go on to credit the success of Raiders mostly to this more kind of efficient and economical way in which he had made the film. Uh, the film was a, not just a critical success upon release, but also a commercial success. Uh, it eventually ended up the highest grossing film of 1981, beating out Superman 2. Uh, won five Academy Awards for uh, Best Film Editing, Best Production Design, Best Sound, Best Sound Editing, and Best Visual Effects. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Cinematography, Best Director, and Best Original Score. Uh, not much needs to be said about the popularity of this film, of the character of Indiana Jones. Three more films would come out after this one, uh, with one supposedly on the way, I guess, maybe with uh, just it an extremely been, old yeah, Harrison Ford. It's been postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. <laughs> so the complete, like the shooting schedule, I guess, is completely missing. Nobody has an idea of when it's going to start, if ever. I imagine it's not going to happen. It, Spielberg's The Irishman uh, is the what the <laughs> it's just just ruminating <laughs> on the success. I, yeah, I don't know, uh, but supposedly not, not Spielberg. One. 
Not Spielberg. Theoretically, it would be directed Mangold. by James Mangold. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait, really? Oh, oh that yeah. sucks, oh, man. Just, just, yeah, he stepped on. Kill it. Yeah. Anyway, that's my summary. Sorry, that was long-winded, but got to set no. up the film. Uh, yeah, just as background, uh, Aaron and I, I think, are the most uh, overtly and uh, exuberantly positive about this movie on the call. Um, we're going to see if we can't turn that around with uh, Harry and Cody's opinions. But um, I want to give a little bit of background as, you know, first in line to talk about this movie and the one who picked it. A little bit of background on, like, where this movie came from and why I picked it for the boys' picky. I cannot overstate how big uh, an impact this movie had on me as a kid. Um I probably first saw it on TCM with my mom uh, and every single time it was on. And that was fairly often. It was one of their go-to hits. Uh, she would call me in and we'd just watch the whole thing, you know, either when it, whether it was the indie series or if it was just a one-off or, you know, or a retrospective of Spielberg, whatever. Um, my mom is not one to have, she's never really bought into blockbusters. She's very much older, you know, forties, fifties films. She's I've talked before about her love of uh, Jimmy Stewart and of the thin man movies. Um, she fell asleep during the original run of star Wars in the theater. So she's a little bit all over the place, but uh, she loves these movies too. And I think it just became like a, a family concentration point that everybody loved these movies. They became like just a go-to um, I had, action figures i had the video games i had the vinyls of the dramatization Talk of about the, the script. i had i did not ever have this the whip but i researched for many many months how much it would cost to get my mom to buy one on ebay a bullwhip like the one indiana jones uses uh, because i just wanted to whip it around you know small town michigan i wanted to whip it around the backyard i wanted to like act and feel like indiana jones um not necessarily the most in reality as an adult probably not uh, a, a, a good goal to have, but as a kid, just like very much superhero status. Um, I had t-shirts. I had all the VHS and Blu-rays and everything, not to just like, I mean, a little feather in my cap. I played a game called quiz up on my phone for uh, a, a few months back in 2014 ish. And um, I became number one in both Indiana and Minnesota in Indiana Jones quiz, uh, like trivia. I just obsess over this property for a long time. Um, it is probably a good chunk of the reason why I ever even started going to the trial on, because I think treasure of the Sierra Madre was my first trial on film. If I'm remembering this correctly, it was, yep. I was back there. The micro- yeah. You were there back in the micro cinema days. Uh, and I remembered that that was one of the touchstones for Indiana Jones for the creation of the character and the whole impetus behind, you know, the concept of bringing back 30 serials and adventure films. Um, so like, which is fascinating a- because like Indian are uh, Harrison Ford is like doing a bogey in this movie. <laughs> That's like one of my ta- takes on it. Yeah. It's de- like, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I realized like over the years that it's given me a real like strong lens through which to judge a lot of different movies and styles, uh, both ones inside and outside of this particular purview of like, you know, adventure style. Um, it's just given me an idea of what like a good movie might look like, sound like, and feel like. Uh, and I cannot credit it enough for that. Um, the movie itself, I, I've always uh, admired, like I'm going to try and step away because I've always marveled at the technological aspect and sort of the, uh, artistry that's gone into making this film. And of course that's been well recognized, well rewarded. It won multiple Oscars, etc. but I want to dig a little bit more into, you know, as this show is wont to do a little bit beyond the making of, if I can, uh, pushing myself a little more, I, on this most recent rewatch, which was a fellow's watch last night. Um, I sort of leaned or sorry, I, I sort of started to sink my teeth into how bizarre the bear plot is um but how seriously and sincerely it approaches that and how it doesn't really take a whole lot of shortcuts or um undercut a whole lot of its uh i guess sentimentality with uh flip jokes 
and stuff. You know, it's got it's got humor, but it's not built on that. Uh, that's something that um, Roger Ebert's review contemporaneously mentioned as well is that like the humor in this movie does not come from jokes necessarily. Um, so I like to I, I I'll touch on how like bizarre it is and how it doesn't feel bizarre. It feels very heartfelt, or at least to me. Um, and sort of the relationship between Indy and Marion Ravenwood, uh, contentious, obviously not uh, the most positive or healthy relationship. Um, maybe not even a relationship based on the fact that this movie has little in the way of a like strict emotional core. But those are the two things that I really want to talk about this movie. Um, it'll be a lot of fun to poke around it with, uh, you know, longtime friends, uh, you know, and against a, a longtime love um, of cinema. So, uh, Cody, if that wasn't enough, I'll toss it off to you. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be impossible to follow that up, but I will. Uh, I'll try my darndest. Um, my thoughts about the movie here will be very, very top level, but I definitely appreciate context. So I'll start kind of a ways back with my own history with this movie. Uh, Raiders was definitely somewhat formative for me as a kid, not necessarily as like a singular movie, but as part of a kind of a bigger media influence. It's not the best way to describe it, but like for a stretch of time from my late elementary school through middle school years, my family every other year or so would go on vacation uh, to Disney World. And more than any other park, my favorite was the MGM Studios Park, which I believe now is called Disney's Hollywood Studios. Um, But that was always the park uh, I kind of gravitated toward the most. They had the great movie ride, uh, rest in peace. They had, and I think still have the the Aerosmith rock and roller coaster. And they had a few one-off shows that always kind of got my attention, uh, including the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, I believe it was called, which uh, I think was unofficially painted as a Raiders of the Lost Ark show. Um, they would have some stunt people doing cool things on a stage for for about a half hour. So there's definitely... Oh, uh, sorry, that, sorry, Cody. Did that later move to Disney World? I, I mean, so it, it was all technically in Disney World. Actually, that show specifically oh, okay. is is discontinued i think there's a stunt person that like got into a serious accident uh so that's yeah no longer no longer uh, a thing um but i i you know regardless at least from my time there there's like certainly a wealth of nostalgic fondness that i have for the types of films and images that i experienced there Uh, a lot of that stuff i internalized when i was a kid but in some cases i followed up on those images a little later in life instead like when i was eight and saw an animatronic ripley hiding in a foggy hallway in the great movie ride i had no idea what xenomorphs were um could not wrap my head around that but when i was a little older i watched alien and now it's one of my favorite movies uh raiders of the lost ark was something i definitely watched in pieces as a kid uh, a lot and had on in the background a lot because it was on cable like all the time uh i don't think i really sat down and watched it all the way through until college or maybe even after college um it's a little murky but i definitely get what the draw is uh raiders is and a lot of these are going to be touching on points that jason uh brought up as well but it's it's such a cozy movie to sit with because it looks fantastic and it sounds fantastic and it's got couple of hot people in it like headlining the movie and there's really well choreographed action and there's a lot to like and i really like all of that um i i don't think raiders is a particularly complicated movie um as much as i feel like it maybe sometimes pretends otherwise uh it's brought up as charming as our hero is he's not the best role model and it's not always clear how Spielberg feels about that. Um, and as kick-ass as Marion is, she always sort of defers to Indiana Jones and has a lot of scenes where she's like, you know, being grossed out by something and all these things in their own ways, you know, they looking back at this film's legacy, which I'm by no means an expert on, you know, it feels like 
they feel like things that are either glossed over or feel more like footnotes, or in some cases they feel like they're ignored completely because everything else about Raiders is so awesome, like legitimately. Uh, and I, I don't think any of those things necessarily prevent me from enjoying this movie. I will probably enjoy this movie forever and continue to revisit it every few years or so, I think is the pace I'm currently on. Um, and had my relationship with this movie been a little bit different growing up, you know, I could see myself loving the best parts of this movie even more, you know, which is not to say that people shouldn't love this movie. Uh, that's just kind of where I'm at with it uh, right now. But um, with that, I will use the uh, the momentum of this tumbling boulder to roll the mic uh, over to Harry for his thoughts about this movie. Uh, look out. Here it comes. What a great transition, Cody. I've been crushed. Um yeah, so my my reputation among my friends sort of precedes me. Um, I've been semi-outspoken about the fact that that I'm not a huge Raiders of the Lost Ark fan. Um, I've seen it many times. Uh, I think part of that is because I didn't see it in childhood. I think I was like 16 or 17 the first time I saw it. I just rented it with my sister. Um, she didn't like it, which sort of um, I'm throwing her under the, the proverbial boulder here, but that sort of colored my opinion of it a little bit, perhaps. Um so I guess I've spent a lot of time thinking about this movie because of my known opposition to my friends. And I've had a lot of different opinions on why it doesn't work for me necessarily. And I've sort of come to peace with that over time and gotten to a place that maybe might surprise some of you, um, which is that I think that this is maybe the, the most technically perfect blockbuster ever made. Um, I think that it's 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 just like inarguably almost scientifically perfect as far as a movie goes. Um, like, I think that that Spielberg might be the most technically proficient, like popular movie director who ever lived. Right. And this is him. Like, this is like his most perfect, um, like realization of his skill as a technical filmmaker. And as sort of a, a person who is capable of marrying cinematography and score and plot beats and photography into one cohesive project and idea. Um, I think it's inarguable that this movie has had an, a tremendous influence on everything that followed it. Um, I think that like it set the standard and template for what action movies are and adventure movies and what they look like to this day, inarguably, right? Like I don't even think any of that is arguable. I think objectively, this is like a masterpiece of uh, st- style and and technical proficiency. Um, It's like a nerd movie for me in that way. And like, maybe this is an unfair opinion to have, but I think this is where I ended up with it, which is just that like, I think Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were like extremely like film school nerds who were out to make the most technically perfect machine of a movie that they did. And I think that they succeeded to an extent that nobody has ever succeeded before. I just don't find any soul in this movie to latch onto, to be perfectly honest. Like I even think that, that when they try to be soulful is when the movie is at its most juvenile. And I find it to be a very juvenile, very like puerile movie in that way. Right. Like I think we've talked about, like I don't particularly like Indiana Jones as a character. I really don't like this movie's treatment of, of women, right. Uh, particularly Marion. Um, I find in, in some ways, a lot of the beats of this movie to be sort of like, really like clearly about demonstrating technical mastery at the expense of actually creating characters or stories that we care about. Um, Indiana Jones doesn't really have an arc in this movie. Um, I, 
don't really think that the climax is is doing anything for any of the characters except for establishing how fucking awesome it looks and it does look really fucking awesome um it's still it's like a it's like the best theme park i've ever been to right um and like this is just maybe me being like justifying myself overly but um good one cody uh but you know it it like uh it's it's just maybe not necessarily what I'm looking for in movies, and maybe that's because I'm a humorless scold who just wants to cry because I'm a big emo baby. But uh, that's the way it is, I guess. And so, like, I'm I'm not saying I'm not a hypocrite, right? Because like, I, fucking like Dragon Ball Z is to me what Indiana Jones was to Jason, and we could talk about Dragon Ball Z forever, right? Um, but that's just sort of where I ended up with it. So like, even irrespective of like my arguments about how like I don't love the relationship with Marion and I don't love the script and I don't love like the general sort of juvenile um, Americana propaganda nature of the movie. Um, all of that is sort of secondary to the fact that like, I just like, I, I recognize that the technical masterfulness of this movie. And I think that's what the movie is about. And those things are not as emotionally appealing to me as they may be to other people. <laughs> Uh, if you if you like crying, you could just watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You just check that hey, movie yeah, out. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You watch the upcoming fifth Indiana Jones movie. Um, James Mangold, huh? For an Indiana Jones movie, that's what they wanted to do, huh? That's what they went he's, with. He's the yeah. He, they're gonna they're gonna yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll shit on Disney down the road here. Uh, I, you know, I, I guess I can't uh, disagree too much with with a lot of that. Um, you know, I think that's fair. I think I maybe. We'll probably get into it. I maybe have uh, an argument to make about James Bond having a character arc uh, in this film. But uh, regardless, uh, I, I think I'm do you probably... Mean, do you mean Indiana Jones or did you mean to say James oh. Bond? Who did I say? You said, you James, said James Bond. You said I said James, James Bond. Which, James Bond does made, not have which any Which made my point far better than I ever could, <laughs> by the way. Uh, hey, uh, well, James... James uh, there are maybe three or four James Bond movies where he has an arc as well. So, uh, you know, out of 40, not a bad ratio. Casino Royale is a great movie. Casino Royale is a great movie. There's the... There's a bunch of other ones, yeah. too. Yeah, there's a few other ones. Um, you know, my, my experience with this film is is similar to Jason's. I don't know if I was ever topping any quiz boards uh, about uh, Indiana Jones, uh, probably because I I did not own, you know, the Indiana Jones box set. I owned a VHS copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then I owned uh, the original Star Wars trilogy, and then I owned a VHS copy of uh, Miyazaki's Castle of Cagliostro, and those were like the like adventure I, now you want to talk about an adventure movie buddy you want to is fucking just, talk about what that be, goes just, is this just becoming caliastro cast now are we gonna need no. to change the title i mean look harry's, this, harry's this is, i think up next here so he can do whatever he wants but uh this is one of the films that i've seen the most times like if i was between uh, you know if it was a weekend and i was a kid between the age of of six and ten there is like a probably a 35% chance that I watch this movie. I've seen this movie like literal dozens of times. Um, but that is to say that I, I do not have the same love of uh, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade. Uh, but as far as Raiders of the Lost Ark goes, I think that is, as, as Harry kind of mentioned, I think this is like probably undeniably the best film in its genre. Um, Frankly, even if you expand the genre to maybe a little more uh, of the artsy films, you know, you get some Kurosawa in there. I think this is probably still the best film in the genre. Um, I think from a blockbuster filmmaking standpoint, it's it's 
in my mind, undeniably the best movie of its kind. Um, and I think that that maybe my appreciation is, is not different here, but I think that maybe I do have a slight different appreciation because I mostly just watched this specific Indiana Jones movie over and over again, um, kind of alongside the original Star Wars. Uh, I think that this movie is fascinating to consider uh, as a film, as a standalone film, as opposed to the start of a series, right? This is not Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is Raiders of the Lost Ark in the same way that Star Wars was just Star Wars. It was not A New Hope. It was not Episode Four when it first came out. Um, and, and I think there's there's things that kind of... Uh, uh, make that viewpoint uh, pretty interesting, right? There's little things like the way that Indiana Jones is introduced as this kind of mysterious character at the beginning of this movie. Uh, the first shot of his face is a, a shot of his face emerging from shadows, and he's kind of half, only half lit. The left or right side of his face is, is lit, and the, the other side is completely uh, engulfed in shadows. Um, things like the fact his that Indiana silhouette, Jones... Right? I'm sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like his silhouette <laughs> is like more more iconic than, than he is, right? S- silhouette. Like oh, silhouette. Shadow. Yes. Uh, the yes. His, pretty wet. Yeah. Well, his silhouette's even used later in the film. I mean, like four or five right. times, right? With mm-hmm. him, you know, uh, being lit from behind. And, and yeah, I mean, that is, it is iconic now, but it is at the, at the time it was kind of the creation of something that would become iconic in a way. Um, but there's, there's like little things here, right? There's the fact that Indiana Jones loses the idol at the beginning of the film because Belloc, his rival, speaks the language of the indigenous tribe and thus is able to convince them to be on his side. And that Indiana Jones loses the idol because, I mean, not to get too like galaxy brain, but because his his kind of his desire just for this object gets in the way of of how he's going about it. Right. Um, I also appreciate Jones's character arc here, which I think is subtle and understated. Harry maybe would argue it doesn't exist. Uh, I think you could read it as underwritten, but I think it it does work in the efficient uh, storytelling manner that Spielberg has adopted for this film. Uh, you know, I think comparing uh, Jones in the opening scene to him in the climax is very interesting. Uh, a character who is doing everything that he can in order to go after this golden idol, character who ends up destroying this temple because he does not take the proper time and care. Uh, and arguably doesn't take the proper time and care to vet the people that he's with. Uh, he is betrayed, right? And then that person is uh, killed uh, by one of the traps because of his greed. I think that the opening of this film is is kind of metaphorical in that manner. And the end of this film, uh, you know, where he is kind of tied up and closing his eyes to the thing that he is he is sought after for so long. I think there is stuff there, even if it's understated, even if it's at service to larger blockbuster kind of filmmaking. Um, the sequence, for example, where he purposely leaves Marion captured so that he has mm-hmm. time to go after the Ark. That works a lot better if this is the only Indiana Jones film to exist and the character is not burdened by the public's cultural understanding of who he is and what his heroism is, right? This is a character that uses a whip as a weapon. This is not a character who even uses a gun or a sword. This is a character whose main wait, wait, thing... Wait, wait, uh, wait. One of his most famous scenes in this movie is him using a gun as a weapon. And I will say he deploys sure. the gun as a lethal weapon more often than he deploys the whip as a lethal weapon in this movie. I mean, no, like, but, I get but, it. The whip is the iconic part of his ensemble. My, my point is that this is a, a film about a, not a heroic you know, character who is, is positioned as right. being it's only morally good. He is not just a scoundrel, but he is a, he is a morally ethical, like ethically uh, compromised character. Uh, and the film does point this out several times. Yeah. Uh, 
who comes to a kind of a different understanding by the end of the film. Now, I, I do want to kind of notice and talk about aspects of the film that go against kind of a more uh, uh, simplistic reading of the film in order to, which I think is fair, right? Because I, I think that there are reasons to dislike a lot of aspects of this film. Uh, but I, I do want to point out where the film kind of bucks that a little bit. But I also want to avoid using uh, deeper elements, the deeper elements that do exist uh, solely in order to kind of purposely misread this film uh, to be more to my liking. Um, I think this film <laughs> inspired largely by previous works and the genre kind of undeniably has this baggage related to the character of Jones, the portrayal of archaeology, anthropology, um, kind of similar in the way that Western films all have this baggage. Undeniably, every single one uh, has this baggage and that a true appreciation of these films kind of require taking those factors uh, into account. So this is all rambling to say, I think it's a very good movie. I think there are things here and there that provide a deeper reading, but uh, I don't love the movie because of those elements. I love it because it is the best of its kind. And that's what I've always liked about it, I guess. So anyway, sorry, rambling. Uh, yeah, I feel like you head. guys are responding to arguments that I have not made yet, but I appreciate it. I, no, th- I, this, uh, this is all made, my own. Yeah. You haven't made them on mic. Uh, Aaron, I didn't want to dig too far into the rest of our points until I get into, I did not know Mm -hmm. that like you didn't grow up with the rest of the Indiana Jones films. Does that for you create like a disparity between how you sort of see and experience the character and how generally you see him marketed and like viewed and accepted by the rest of the, cause like the character changes and his dynamic as a person and as a hero changes throughout the series. Uh, And I feel like if I had only seen Raiders, for you know most of my childhood i probably would have a different view of of the character than i do do you feel like that's uh that like that factors into your understanding of the character um maybe a little bit i mean i think that the the kind of cultural understanding is uh i think very purposefully by the the corporations that that own these properties kind of front and center right i've had indiana jones happy meals and posters and there's video game and there's like all this other stuff that is kind of uh, impossible to avoid as a person just kind of living in America. Um, So I don't want to say that like my only understanding of this character is Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, because like even if I didn't watch Temple of Doom a lot and I did watch it, but even if Mm -hmm. I didn't watch it like every weekend or or The Last Crusade, I still was familiar with those. I guess still, yeah, Sean Connery, his dad, whatever. Um, But like, it's more just to say that, like, I think there is a more interesting viewing of this film if you view it kind of in in isolation. I like Um, that a lot, for the record. Yeah, and it's, you know... I don't know. This is a conversation that's that's come up a lot. I think specifically recently with the way that like Disney's uh, done a lot of stuff with like Star Wars. It's like there's been a, like uh, kind of a reckoning that a lot of people who have uh, uh, not to, like take too many shots, but like made a lot of their personality around their connection to these kind of intellectual properties, which I, I do too. Uh, but like there's there's been a large discussion around like how do you factor this into what is very clearly uh, a relationship with a kind of a a set of movies that is becoming more and more commercialized. Right. And Indiana Jones has kind of shied away from that a little bit just because there hasn't, there's been like one, right. Mostly through incompetence, right? (laughs) Yes. Literally, literally through incompetence. But like, that is something that like, I have to think about where like, I don't have the same connection to the the later two movies that would, I think for a lot of people, I think there's a lot of people who think last crusade is the best Indiana Jones movie. And that's the one they think about. I think they're wrong, but like, I don't know. Like that's how do I avoid having that conversation talking about this character? It's like a very weird thing for me. 
I'm very interested in that, and I'm very interested in your treatment of Indiana Jones's arc in this movie because I think I agree with it. Um, or that was the arc that I wanted to see. Um, I personally think that the movie uh, it wants us and this is this is the interesting discussion to have right is that i think that spielberg and lucas want us to like indiana jones too much to give him a real arc in this movie i think that the iconography and hero status of indiana jones and how much they like the humphrey bogart gruffness of his character precludes him from having the real arc that he's looking that they're that the the script ostensibly sets him up to have where like you said he starts off as a character who will stop at nothing and who does not care about the people he hurts or the things that he destroys in the pursuit of his um archaeological uh and his pursuit of these relics um and at the end by the end of the movie he's supposed to be a character who has grown out of that um i think that marion is supposed to symbolize that i don't think he ever treats marion any better in this movie and that is a yeah. big problem that i have with this movie is that like i think that the indiana jones that they want us to see is an indiana jones who comes to see that his relationship with marion is more important than his pursuit of these relics and this pursuit of who he is as a fallen archaeologist an archaeologist who has quote-unquote fallen from the pure religion I just don't see that Indiana Jones. And I don't think that this movie shows that Indiana Jones to us. And I think the reason it does that is because Steven Spielberg and George Lucas like the idea of Indiana Jones as this gruff badass so much that they won't let him have an arc. And like, that is an issue for me in this movie, I guess. And like, yeah. maybe that's my mileage may vary. No, no, no. I, I, I like, I think that's actually one point in which you and I, Harry are, like in accordance. I, I do believe that they are very like both Lucas and Spielberg were very interested in uh recalling and maybe enriching a little bit the stereotype, the archetype of the treasure hunting, uh, you know, gruff sort of badass character. Of course, like they it's a lot has been said about how they subvert that slightly with him like always taking a punch, always like not really you know, we don't see the two main characters consummating their relationship in any like super explicit ways. He falls asleep, presumably before he has sex with the female lead. Um, he is, you know, uh, he, she gives him a good punch at the beginning and like he's humanized a little bit more. Right. That's what I mean when I say like it is built off of ridiculous, bizarre archetypes, but then adds a little bit of richness to it by dehumanizing by softening a little bit the character um i think that what you're saying about how they want us to like the character too much to go too deep because then we'd be able to find more like flaws more um superheroism more of those sort of standout characteristics that do better define characters of the 30s and 40s serials upon which he's based or from which he's he was inspired if he was given that definite an arc i think it would definitely would have like maybe not led to as strong a series. And this is where I'm finding it really interesting that like we have different between Aaron and I, anyway, we have different uh, perceptions of, of, of the character through the series, because for me, like Indiana Jones went from uh roguish, um, you know, uh, philandering archeologist to whatever he was in temple of doom to a family man. Uh, and that's sort of like the arc for me over the course of three movies. It opened that up, not in Raiders itself, great introduction, but to me, not a place where it really develops the character that well, even off of others. Um, I don't know whose hand was up first, but I'm going to toss it to Aaron because alphabetical. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll hopefully, hopefully Cody can follow up, but hopefully this is not a, a sea change here, but I, you know, I, I'm going to shoot myself. 
I'm going to shoot my past self in the foot a little bit here by saying that I do think there is an interesting point to make with James Bond, specifically with his character, not in that they are the same character, yes. but yep. that they, they, they share a similar, I guess, kind of cultural place, uh, I think, for a lot of people, maybe even for me. Um, and then I, I think that th- th- there's kind of a, a point I came to. Uh, uh, my uh, fiance and I have been rewatching a lot of James Bond films recently. Uh, and we watched Goldeneye uh, probably like two months ago at this point. And a, a point that I, I kind of came to is that uh, specifically with the character of James Bond, who is another character who's I've seen every James Bond film, uh, not enough to like point out specific sequences, but I, I have seen them all. I grew up with them. Uh, Casino Royale specifically is one of my favorite films. And I, I do think that there is, maybe this is like a hot take or something, but I think there is something to be said for blockbuster kind of heroes, not having large character arcs in movies, which is maybe a bit of a controversial take, right? It's like kind of goes against basic storytelling and characterization. Uh, but I think that it gets very, very hard to maintain constant large character arcs for characters who are, who operate best as, as archetypes. Um, and that is something that you've actually seen recently with James Bond films, specifically the last few. I think they've tried to have these very dramatic arcs over each film. And I think it ends up feeling very hollow, even melodramatic in a weird kind of way. I think the same thing about Raiders, where I think I would definitely argue that he has a a pretty defined character arc in this film. Uh, But I think that it is kind of smoothed out because you can create an interesting character by smoothing out the character arc, but then exaggerating, uh, exaggerating kind of the human moments, right? Like Indiana Jones kicks a guy off a motorcycle and then you see him kind of smirk a little bit, right? Which seems like a small thing, but like Spielberg is so good at using those small moments that are not showing a character changing, but are showing a character be a human being. And that's, I think, a lot of why we like Indiana Jones. And so that's part of also why just as someone who mostly grew up watching this film, like I think the, the scare quotes here, lack of a character arc kind of works in that manner in the same way that it works in the best James Bond films or the best films in this kind of genre to me. Uh, yeah, I think I can get on board with that to a certain extent. Anyway, um, I think this is uh, what I'm about to say. Maybe lies in the shadow of what you said, Aaron, and like the, this movie, wanting to have its cake and eat it too. And I guess it all comes back to like the lack of arc um, or, you know, the, the less of an arc that, that we would maybe want from this type of character and this movie, like it, it comes close to that. Right. And I, I say like have its cake and eat it too, because it, it gestures at it um, uh, often. Um, there's one scene that really stood out to me this time that uh, one of the conversations between Indiana Jones and Renee Belloc, um, where, Belloc is is just kind of like, uh, you know, he's explaining the futility of their lifestyles and this thing that they're doing the, the whole, you know, why are we, why are we stealing artifacts from uh, indigenous marginalized groups? Uh, These things have uh, had no worth and now they have worth. Uh, What are we doing? Like scampering around the world? Like it's, you know, it's poking and prodding at that sort of, uh, I I guess I'll just say critique Um, that critique of this type of, you know, burly, uh, tough um, human hero character, the the sort of Humphrey Bogart, I think his name maybe came up either on yeah. or with Mike. Um, but then, 
like that, that sort of anything that, you know, if, if that's your stepping stone that gets undercut when you make three more Spielberg directed movies and, you know, one plus more Mangle directed movie. Like if, if that's, that's not something you follow up on, then like just the, the, the commercialization of that type of critique makes it not a, a critique anymore, you know? So I, I think Aaron, like I, what you're saying about there being a sort of like, you know, a arc that's understated, but like built up by these really human moments, I think is for me anyway, looking at it and not having grown up with this character as much as some of y'all have, like, that's a really good sell to me. And that's something that I like, I look forward to using as like uh, a lens to rewatch this movie going forward. Um, but yeah, I think as, as it's been said by, by someone else here, like the, the fact that there are more movies and this wasn't just a one-off movie really like, uh, with context undercuts, like a lot of what could have been done here, maybe. Two really good points, uh, Cody, that, that you brought up. One, uh, Bellic's speeches are, are kind of bangers and they're kind of where the actual, like ostensible plot of this movie lives. Again, I have a real, um, like pet peeve with the fact that he says, I am your uh, Freudian shadow. If you're on the hero's journey, then I, then I am the shadow foil that you must confront, which is a thing that he says explicitly to Indiana Jones, which, which again is just like George Lucas literally had like the hero with a thousand faces open on his lap while they were like looking into this movie. And it's like fucking like, what a jerk off move. But anyway, uh, that's, that's a, a minor point of mine, but also like that does clearly set up the arc, right? Like Bellic has that great line about how, like, look at us in the, we like, we follow these, uh, these relics through a thousand years. You like, I could bury this pocket watch. That's, that's completely without value for a thousand years. And then you dig it up and it's priceless. And like how silly that is. It's like, they're clearly setting up Indiana Jones to have like the difference between he and his shadow is that he comes to understand that and comes to see that the, the people in his life and like the people that currently exist in the world are more important than these useless sort of arbitrary, um, like, relics and like that just does not exist in this movie i don't think and it definitely doesn't exist uh if you consider the the follow-up stories um which is which is fascinating right because like then we're getting into like how this this thing this commercialized thing is like gundam or it's like sam spade in um the maltese falcon or it's like uh um judge dread or something right where it's like there was there was this ostensible purpose in re-examining these hero serials to make the character more human to to not totally subvert but sort of start to deconstruct these things that we had seen as uh positive and heroic traits and in fact portray the ways in which they're actually deeply complicated and deeply flawed and and um in some cases even bad right but like even to a greater extent than those other franchises and properties, I, there is no argument that says that like where we're supposed to end up is to see that that Indiana Jones's humanisms, in fact, make it so that he's not a role model and he's not someone we're supposed to look up to. Like you could make the argument about James Bond. In fact, I think that the human the humanizing aspects of this character, given that he's still supposed to be such a triumphant figure, are even more pernicious in some ways. It's like we're meant he we're we're flattening the aspects of of heroism to make them closer to who we are as humans so that we can feel even better about identifying with this person like look he's just like me he's a human he makes mistakes when in fact it's like i don't know man it's it's like yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's bringing it's bringing the the uh the aspects of indiana jones that we shouldn't want 
to want, that we do want to want because of the way that fucking imperialism works and capitalism works, etc., closer to us by making them more human, not demonstrating how actually they're they're bad things right and so like the argument that humanizing indiana jones makes him it like redeems him somehow i think it does the opposite in a lot of ways i think it's like it's like pernicious right it's it's like saying that like look like like this this human figure who represents all of these things that we love about traditional american masculinity um there, he's actually quite human and like doesn't that make it better i'm like nah that makes it worse dog like it that makes it scarier the fact that, like, yes, he is a human, just like I'm a human, and also, like, he represents this this terrible thing. I'm, like, again, I'm surprised at how often I'm right there with you, Harry, because I agree that, like, the flattening of those character aspects, I think that was the word you used, uh, to make him more palatable and to be able to, like, impose more on us, I think that's... I think the most disingenuous parts of me want to say, well, of course, they're rewriting characters from the 30s. They they have to do that. Like that's part of it, right? That's not a realistic it's a modernization look at what they actually did. Yeah. It, it is it is uh what's the word I'm thinking of? Um like it's a retroactive look. It's a revisionist. It's a revisionist idea of what the movie actually is through a lens of what it was supposed quote unquote supposed to be, right? Um and and if I'm I'm saying like I I do genuinely enjoy that like just visibly the character is a pincushion that he is visibly like, you know, there's what I still think, uh, you know, uh, implications aside is a really great scene between him and Marion on captain Katanga's ship, uh, with the, like, it hurts here. It hurts like that. That's just like, that's a, a classic scene in my mind, uh, for the character, for like building the character as this, like slightly more than archetype, but not close enough to, like fully fleshed out character arc to make us to ostracize or like separate us a little bit. It's all bringing me back to, and I hope I'm not like making too much of a spin here or a pivot, but um, like, I think the movie is positioning uh, the character of Indy and, and his uh, inner and his relationship with Marion as like the emotional heart of the movie. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. find that even, even on rewatch, I don't think that it actually has, an incredibly strong one of those. I don't think it's about that either, but I don't think it has it. Um, but then it can't even like, it doesn't quite connect. We've already spoken about how it doesn't quite connect the horseshoe on that again, whether it's, whether or not it's supposed to, this is the whole revisionist thing of, you know, did thirties movies or serials do that? Does this movie need to do that? That sort of thing. But you know, without excusing it, I don't think that it genuinely has that. And like the point there that I want to make some, uh, the point that, that I want to make is, is Indy and Belloc then like, if we're looking at it through a 2021 lens of the characters have much more in common than they actually are, like the whole shadowy reflection speech, cheesy and ripped off, but, but true ultimately. Right. Uh, is that the real emotional heart of the movie? If we're flattening the worst aspects of the character, but we know that they still exist implicitly through the scripting and through the history of the character. And we know that they're more similar than, than the movie lets on or like that the movie would like us to believe. Is that where we're supposed to? Is that where we can, as people watching the movie in 2021, derive more of the emotional heart of the movie, the more more of the drive, more of like the explanation and arc of the character? Yeah. So I promise I'm going to shut up eventually because I like this movie less than anybody else, so I shouldn't talk as much. But um, the sort of like the last thing I I think I'll say um, is that. I think the more I think about this, the more I'm realizing that this might just be a political thing on my mind, because like, 
I don't even think I would meet you further than halfway there. And I think that that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg absolutely were revisioning characters from the 30s and wanted them to wanted to bring them into a modern context and humanize them more and make them and like really delve into what those tropes and what those um, symbols mean to us then and now. And but I think that they were doing it with the with the purpose of revealing how they are still useful and they are still elemental and powerful in the contemporary modern age, right? Like they were, they were saying that like, look, the things that we loved about hero serials in the 1930s and forties, if we can just turn them just so we can see that they're still revenant, like resonant, right? There's still something we can be reverent about. Um, the, the problem with that is the same problem is something like James Bond in Skyfall, right? Where like the whole point of that movie of Skyfall, the movie is like, well, like, times may have changed and technology may be different and we may have to examine that a little bit but ultimately in the end the the sort of like lionized uh ethic the warrior ethic of james bond the character and what he represents still has a place in this modern world god damn it and like it's still something that's worth that's worth being uh that that that's worth praising and that's worth trying to embody like the virtue ethic of James Bond the virtue ethic of Indiana Jones it's still something worth looking at in the in the 21st century or whatever we just need to change what we think about that a little bit and i'm like fuck that so i guess that's just where i end up with it and i guess that's why i'm like a humorless scold is that like i don't i don't think there's anything redeeming about that that ethic and i don't think that it's something that we should look up to i guess i mean I- to be a little blunt, uh, I think that you can do that when you set your movie in the late 1930s and the bad guys are the Nazis. Like that's the that's really the right. that's why they did it. The yep. Yeah, but but yeah, but the, the the that is I think one time when there was a clear, at least from an American history standpoint, a clear ambiguous bad guy uh, that deserved. Uh, that label. Yeah, famously the Americans did nothing wrong in World War II. It's not about whether the Americans did nothing wrong, but if you were going to say the bad guy of that conflict, it is clearly the Nazis. Um, Which is why if you have a James Bond film, say, set uh, later during the Cold War that maybe that doesn't work as well and maybe it comes off as stilted and bad. Maybe if you take that context and you put it over in India, for example, that it comes off as even more racist than the, the previous film, which is also why they needed to go back to Nazis uh, for The Last Crusade. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to say that, like, you should just pave over any sort of atrocity or any sort of criticism of the United States government, but, like, there, there is a, I think, a core kind of moral truth to the bad guys being Nazis uh, that does kind of make what Spielberg and Lucas were taking, uh, you know, from older adventure films and radio dramas and serials and whatnot, uh, that does make that work in this context. Maybe that's, you know, a little simplistic. Maybe there's no way you could make this kind of film today with this kind of morality, but uh, I think it does work for this film. Uh in that way. I think that's part of why like the climax of this film uh, is so like affecting. And so like, you know, famous after all these years is because it is, there is something uh, 
there's something wonderful about seeing that kind of violence in that kind of a, a context. Maybe that's a cheap thing to do. I don't know. But I think that that's kind of it, it comes along with the genre uh, in kind of uh, everything inherent with it. I don't know. I think you're getting it there. Like, again, we're coming back to the what did they what do they mean when they bring back when they up, update or enrich, like that's why I'm not using the term update or I, I know that Harry's view of it is that they were attempting to sort of like show us upend subvert a little bit more than maybe I uh, envisioned they, they were of, of, you know, the archetypes of, of 30 serials. Um, I don't, I don't th- like, I think if you go any further than they did, I think it becomes parody. I think it becomes uh, either like an entire statement of a movie about those virtues and the heroes who embody them and how both change over time. Um, or maybe, you know, how they weren't all they were cracked up to be back in the day. And I think they took a route that said, what is going to make a fun movie that doesn't look like the old, that looks enough like the old ones to be recognizable uh, without being off-putting without like alienating without being completely unrecognizable or without like, um, souring your memories of that thing. And in that way, it's, it's a bit of, it's, it's a bit of apologia, right? Uh, like that's Harry's the central purpose of this movie. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is like, it, it is that I don't, I don't know that that was the intention from the beginning, especially as like the weird sort of strange way this movie came together, where it was an idea from two people that uh, ended up being spearheaded by one and written by a completely third. You know, I think it's hard to say that there was one you know, universal neutral vision of what the movie was going to be. I think that what resulted is that. Um, and like, I, I, again, there, there's a, maybe there's a version of this movie that has more of that explicitly, uh, you know, lack like a little bit more, of an interrogative look at that stereotype, at that archetype, at that like structure uh, of that hero's tale, then this ended up being, I don't think I've like, again, I'm, I'm now 28 where the first time I saw this movie, I was maybe like Aaron five, six years old. I can see different things in it now today and sort of hold it to a different standard, still like totally appreciating what it is doing and realizing that like, if it was made to be fun, it's fun. I don't think that it was made to be anything more than that, uh, you know, for better and worse. Yeah, that's interesting. And like, it's, it's very interesting how the, the arc of like, like political allegory in Indiana Jones is, is fascinating in how it follows the arc of sort of like political perception of those times. Right. right? And, and in the sense that it's not actually entirely this movie's fault and it's not entirely the fault of this movie to like, I can't leverage that criticism against this movie entirely because like like you had said spielberg and in uh george lucas did go out of their way to make uh indiana jones a morally compromised morally gray character right like belloc doesn't exist without that and marion's relationship with indiana jones doesn't exist without that the first scene of this movie doesn't exist without the idea that we're, we're trying to break down these these tropes and portray the ways in which they're actually like a portrait of a guy who who is selfish and who is um, self-interested and self-motivated and uh, who is sort of fascistic in some ways. Right. And it's really funny that like, this is a movie that is like, you could even make it a world war two allegory, right? Because it's, it's almost not an allegory at all, but it's like, Indiana Jones is fighting the Nazis and like, wow, the Nazis sure are terrible. How is Indiana Jones different from Bellick? Uh, how is Indiana Jones different from the Nazis? Uh, well, he doesn't, you know, he, he's not a, he's not a genocidal maniac. Is, is he, uh, is he still a fascist? Ah, uh, uh, and, and then like we, we get out further from that and he becomes even more flattened into this sort of like embodiment of traditional American <laughs> ideas. Right. And it's like, 
that it's it's pretty funny right because it's like it's like it's like world war ii uh america we're like I, i'm gonna make a lot of uh enemies right now but but it's sort of like well america was like opposed to fascist powers in world war ii because that was how it broke out what does that mean that america was the opposite of fascism ah that didn't really bear out did it and it's it's fu- <laughs> it's funny that this movie does that also uh, I think I we, mean, uh, Aaron, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, I, I guess my, my only other problem with uh, that reading is that I do think the text of the film, this is where I, I want to, again, don't want to just use the little things here to try and make a larger point that the film doesn't support. But I think the film does also in little moments uh, uh, kind of satirize the American government. I think that the two people who represent uh, the government are bumbling oafs. They don't know anything about, I mean, there's, there's a scene where Indiana Jones is uh, uh, trying to explain to these two who are kind of audience surrogates, but are, are so like uh, they're talking over themselves. They're oafish. Um, and they basically need to have it, you know, explain to them what the Ark of the Covenant is, uh, what is kind of the legend behind this. Um, and I think at the end of the film, you know, I think the fact that they just kind of uh, push this thing into a warehouse is, uh, you know, is kind of criticized in that manner. Like, I, I don't think that Indiana Jones, I mean, he is certainly uh, uh, going on this adventure uh, for the United States government, but I think that the film- Yeah, he, you're right, he doesn't- yeah, 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 but I mean, the thing is that he clearly doesn't represent the United States government. He represents the troops, dude. He like, represents he re- the he re- American values. Yeah, yeah the, sure. the fucking rugged individualist, right? Which is in some ways worse. <laughs> Uh, I think we should probably find time to get back to something that both Cody and I uh, pulled up in our intros, which is that, um, like, the sidelining of of Marion to an extent, like the introduction of her character as a strong, like, standout, uh, built, you know, like, obviously a, lot, a lot's been said about her introductory scene in which she is an owner of a bar, she's self-sufficient, uh, she's, you know, she takes no shit kind of thing, but then by the end is uh you know the the love interest she's sort of relegated um not really used in the way that maybe a direct subversion of the values and tropes of a 1930s serial would have uh you know positioned her uh cody you used the term that she sort of defers to indiana jones as a um you know at like eventually it becomes like totally his story and she's just sort of supporting it. She is maybe enabling it to an extent and eventually she just tags along. Uh, what, what did you think about like with time? What have you come to think about that? Like relationship? Is it, does it, does it work for you? Is it like totally barren? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I accept it for, for what it is, which is like not as great as I would want it to be. Um, but I, like, especially, I mean, her character introduction scene is like kind of legendary, right? Like the fact that she's drinking somebody else under the table and like, it's a very dynamic, like she has scenes at the beginning of this movie where she is a dynamic character doing things like on her own. Like she is anchoring those sequences. Like it, like it is great. Um, and like, obviously like the well i guess technically this movie i don't think has indiana jones in the title but indiana jones is you know like this is this is his movie um it was probably not ever going to be like whether it's you know a critique of you know 
early 20th century serials or not. Like this was not ever going to be a movie where um, he and she were kind of co-headlining the action together um, when they do eventually, you know, come together for the purposes of, of the story, you know, they're, they're trapped down in the pit with snakes. Um, you know, she's, uh, I, I guess defer is, is maybe the word I'll, I'll stick with, but like the scenes in which she is, you know, visibly grossed out by stuff, um, for, you know, Indiana Jones to, to swoop in, um, and, you know, take her out of the action. The scene where he does not take her away from, the tent uh, was, you know, a, a nice subversion. And even though it didn't really amount to a whole lot, and again, like a very, you know, straightforward movie, um, her, her, her tete-a-tetes um, as they were with, um, with, uh, with Belloc, um, like we're, we're enriching in, in themselves, I think. And like, it, it speaks to like her, to Karen Allen's potential as a performer and to like the type of potential Marion Ravenwood has as a character like are are her and indiana jones equals you know by the end of it i'm not really sure um she has a lot of outspoken mm-hmm. um like uh, uh hatred uh, and resentment toward indiana jones for how she was uh for how he treated her in this weird sort of like power dynamic uh engagement earlier in their lives and then by the end they sort of find themselves together um which uh is a, a tricky thing to unravel and to to fully reconcile um, so I guess, yeah, like I, I, I'm, I guess I'm not necessarily 100% on board with each of their statuses, but like, as far as Marion being a character in this movie, like she is dynamic in, in scenes and she definitely like vivifies this movie in ways that like, I would maybe wouldn't have thought possible, like kind of without her being there. I really hate to be this guy. I don't hate to be this guy. I'm sorry. But, uh, it, her arc in this movie is having serious criticisms of Indiana Jones that are well warranted and then coming around to tacitly endorse who endorse who he is. Her last line in this movie right. is, I know what I've got. Like she comes around to his point of view and to thinking that he is a great guy. His opinion of her does not do anything in this movie, except that that he wants to be with her as and or like he he is okay with being with her at the end of the movie, I guess. But like he doesn't I don't think that she changes him in any identifiable way, even though I think the movie kind of wants us to think that's going to happen. And in fact, instead, this becomes a movie about Marion having criticisms and then through the course of the movie, somehow finding out that those criticisms were not warranted or that she can still be with Indiana Jones and want to to be with him she like comes to appreciate indiana jones and i think the movie is trying to tell us like what it's good that marion comes to appreciate and finally see him for what he is and that's another thing that i was like hmm well yeah because she's she's kind of not seeing him as she is she's seeing him as the movie wants us to see him you know like again we're talking about this character that is being shown to us versus the character that we know him to be both textually and by the tropes upon which he's built um i uh just uh, real quick sorry but also to like respond to the whole nazi thing that is why you use nazis rhetorically also for the record is because leveraging world war ii nostalgia in order to cover up for uh the ways in which america is not so great is like literally how we've used nazis ever since the end of world war ii <laughs> i mean like you look at internet arguments right now and like you i'm thinking about that one tiktok of that girl who's like we have to vote for biden because he's not a fascist <laughs> it's like you know what I mean? It's like that is extremely like exactly why 
uh, I like, I agree with you, Aaron. Like I absolutely agree that, that we made this movie have Nazis so that we could unambiguously root for Indiana Jones. What I'm saying is that creating circumstances in which you can unambiguously root for Indiana Jones, that's being done for a purpose that is maybe not great. Yeah, but it, it still works. Like, I I guess if you want to have some sort of, uh, you know, criticism of, you know, particularly, uh, putting Indiana Jones in, uh, in a certain circumstance, I, I think that feels a little, uh, it feels like reading into it a bit too much because it, I think that Spielberg and Lucas kind of showed that they weren't, they were willing to do the opposite when they made the next film, right? Which like sucks for a lot of those reasons because it is set in a different context. Um, it's kind of a thing where like, yeah, is Indiana Jones in just the right context, uh, in order to have that character work? Yeah, he is. But I think that, you know, maybe this is just like a snake biting his own tail, but like it does work because of that. Um, you know, I, I think if if every single James Bond movie uh, was just him going after Nazis again, it was just James Bond and the Nazis, then I think there's a better argument there. But like there's not though, because he's still a misogynist, right? Like, I mean, that's the problem is that like we're we're creating circumstances wherein you can excuse terrible behavior. I don't think you're supposed to excuse terrible. What what behavior are you supposed to excuse? I guess. I, I mean, Marion comes around to Indiana Jones's point of view, like she she thinks he's a great I think guy. But the Indiana end of this movie. Jones changes as a character. I I think how. I think she sees that he is no longer a person who is solely invested in uh, architectural finds, solely invested in his work at the expense of those around him. I think that is the maybe minor change, but that is, I think, a change that he goes through. I think that is what we are supposed to see at the end of this film. Yeah, I, I guess we're back to my original criticism. That is just that I don't see it. Uh, we can maybe quickly talk about some things that we did see uh, in frame. Uh, we've talked a little bit about how this movie looks. Um, I know Jason said he wasn't going to get into like maybe the and maybe I'm misremembering, um, you know, the, the sort of technical uh, components of this movie. I did want to shout out one person mainly because uh, well, I, in part because it allows us to tie this back to uh, previous episodes we've done. Um, hi, this is Trilove. If you're listening to this and you've made it to like the 60 plus minute mark, that's great. Um, we are traditionally a podcast that talks about movies that are not nearly as inaccessible. Um, I'm talking about uh, specifically Kind Hearts and Coronets and The Lavender Hill Mob. Those are two uh, British movies from the 40s and 50s that we've talked about in the past. Those films were shot by cinematographer Douglas Slocum, who uh, shot the kind of the OG three Indiana Jones movies. Um, he also shot Rollerball, which uh, is has some significance uh, to the fellas here. Um, which end, is end of tweet. I, I, yeah, send tweet. Um, <laughs> uh, shout out to James Con. Uh, it's maybe more difficult to track like what that means for Slocum as an artist, just because like cinematographers maybe in most cases don't really have the, um, you know, they're not able to throw their weight around as often. Um, I think, you know, and with these few data points, like maybe the connecting thread is over time Slocum's ability to capture action and movement and like choreography of action and movement like uh, Indiana, the Indiana Jones movies, you know, we're talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark specifically, but I probably all three of them to an extent have like really excellent 
choreography and like it's unbelievable man yeah i think uh aaron you specifically called the truck sequence uh the best action scene of all time i think that's probably like literally correct yeah i think uh a lot of that's spielberg but yeah i think a a lot of that is uh slocomb as well who uh fun maybe cody was going to get to this sorry if you were but uh died five years ago at the age of 103 Right, Whoa. just a very old man. Somebody saying him. Somebody saying him the birthday song about dying at 102, and he's like, "Watch this." That's right. <laughs> yeah, one um, more. Fun, Hold my beer. Fun, fun, fun thing about that um, chase scene. I was watching a little bit of behind the scenes footage, a lot of which I've, I've seen before, but some stuff was new um, about the sound design in that scene. They put tiger roars underneath the engine to make that truck seemed like a monster that's sick as fuck Ooh. that is sick as fuck and it was like okay sorcerer uh did i interrupt you cody i'm sorry uh i didn't really have a, a whole lot else to say about that other than shouting him out ma- making sure he got his his due credit um and like we, we mentioned a few examples between all of us which is great like the i mean when he gets to the the dig you know uh and it's just sand as far as the eye can see yeah. uh, or dirt or, or whatever but like the fact that there are people marching in the background and like doing things in the background mm-hmm. uh like the like everything in the frame is like very conscious i think also about the 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 classroom scene near that not the like the scene wherein indiana jones like relays the plot of the movie in an empty sort of auditorium room and you know it, it's a bunch of dudes sitting around the table but like the the word textured was something that came up during when we all watched it together. Um, and like that there's so much maybe inane detail, but like every detail is important. The fact that there are these, these chairs and this chalkboard and we're writing on the chalkboard, like organically as we go through the scene and we are seeing these oafs and hearing these oafs bumble, uh, like, and trip over themselves in trying to like understand this mumbo jumbo that, uh, again is, you know, essentially like what the movie is, um, like Slocum captures all of that super well. I think that's a huge re and I'm not even like scratching the surface or probably even doing a good job of it, but like, that's like a really big reason I think why this movie is still so beloved to this day and why, you know, us and other folks, you know, people who love movies come back to this movie because it is so engrossing and like it goes down so smooth. Yeah. It's, it's very like tasty to watch. There are two shots that have always stuck with me alongside like all the iconic ones. Uh, and it's the first one is the, it's like two minutes of, of a single shot when Marcus visits Indiana Jones in his, uh, at his house after he's to like, tell him that he's been assigned, that he's been, uh, granted the money to get to Cairo. Um, and it's just like, rather than like smart or super interesting camera movement or anything, it's just very fluid motion between like position to shot, to shot, to shot. And then with a couple like quick insets of the gun and of, you know, him tossing it into his briefcase and stuff uh, that shot always, always gets me. I never really thought about how much that does for that scene. Uh, you know, no, it doesn't break continuity or anything. No, no sharp cuts between faces, no, um, you know, shot reverse shot style. Uh, and then the one of, and Harry bring or mentioning it, uh, made me think about it this time was, um, 
after Marion supposedly dies in the car explosion in Cairo, uh, Indiana Jones is, is sitting there at a table completely alone in the middle of like a busy crowded street of just pedestrians and people carry, you know, people about their day and the monkey is on the table. Um, and he's just like knocking back drinks. It's before the Nazis come to get him to meet with Belloc. Uh, and it's just like a very slow zoom, but all the color and texture and depth in that shot is just like stunning. We may or may not use it as the gift for this, episode because it is just like wildly good i think harry called it like like a painting just because of the amount of color and style in that shot in that like maybe should be throwaway type shot but it packs that feeling of stillness and um contemplation into that single shot uh i've gone on long enough this is the argument for what Aaron was saying about the the humanity of this picture. I think is that like you, I didn't mean to say picture like I'm a fucking like old school. Uh, this feature, like, yeah, but yeah, I was going to say you would almost be hard pressed to find a frame of this movie that isn't the way that Jason's talking about it. Like it's weird, right? Because like when you talk about movies that are that are beautiful, you usually are talking about like like really striking and like often art house movies like Tarkovsky or something. Um, I really think that this is one of the most beautiful movies ever made, like full stop. Um, we talked about texture uh, and color like the night, <laughs> the night before we watched this movie, we fellows watched uh, fucking the Snyder cut. Right. And it was like to go from the Snyder cut to this uh-huh. movie was like such a demonstration of this movie's power. Right. Because it's just like, Everything in this movie looks so right. Like the the city that they're in in Cairo, the city of the living, as it's called, it feels like a living city, right? Like you think they're there, and they, as Diana pointed out, shout outs to Diana, they're not even actually there. That that's not Cairo. Um, the the dig site that they're at looks like a dig site, you know. Uh, even Indiana Jones's house is so full of this history and texture and. Uh, reference to his life and his lifestyle like i diana again she said like what do we know about indiana jones from his house and it was like so much right like no no other movie it seems like or every other movie that's tried to make a uh scene where you see the main character's house was thinking about this scene and like that is to me the power of this movie is that like in terms of like what you want a movie to look like what you want every frame of a movie to be communicating to its audience this is like doing that. This is like Spielberg's power, right? Is that just like, he's the guy who's thinking about like, okay, like what does the balance of color look like? Like, okay, the, the fucking, um, the, the shingles of the buildings need to be this certain color. And we have to light them in this certain way because that will play off of the clothing that Indiana Jones is wearing. That will play off of the glimmer of the gold of the idol inside of this room. And like the, the light that shines down when Indiana Jones sticks out his hand, it has to look this way behind him such that the dust catches his uh, hat just so it's like, this movie is like, it's like balanced on this incredibly thin tightrope and it never loses its balance, right? It's like every single frame of this movie looks so fucking good. It's like ridiculous. And like, you know, for, for, a, for an asshole like me, that makes it the whole argument much more pernicious, right? Where it's just like, what are you selling me? But it is a fucking hell of a sale, right? Like, I, I think that's inarguable. Selling you a good time in a theater, Harry. Just a, a fun adventure with your best pal, Indiana Jones. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> the, uh, so one thing that Spielberg did, uh, I kind of mentioned it beforehand, but he was quite worried about uh, 
going over budget and over time uh, on this film. Uh, he, his reputation as a filmmaker had actually taken kind of a, a big hit uh, due to 1941. Um, you know, it, it's kind of weird to say because of the impact of Jaws and whatnot, but like they had a really hard time getting the financing for this project. George Lucas was not in a spot where he could uh, finance it solely himself. So they, you know, had to go and pitch it around. And they actually only one, only one of the people they had pitched to ended up uh, accepting it, which is wild given the, I know 1941 was a bit of a, a critical and financial failure, but like, you know, still Steven Spielberg we're talking about here. George Lucas at this point was was the uh, most famous filmmaker in the world, the most successful fil- filmmaker in the world. Star Wars was the just the highest grossing film uh, uh, in certain metrics uh, ever at that point. Um, and they had a really hard time getting this financed. And so Spielberg, uh, before shooting the film, uh, storyboarded the entire thing. Uh, which has been done for, I, I think, Parasite was another kind of more recent film uh, where Bond talked about his, uh, his, uh, hey, yeah, hey. his, his use of, of storyboards. The same thing was done here where every single scene was storyboarded uh, beforehand because he knew that he had to uh, get everything exactly the way that it should be, that he didn't really have the time to improvise and whatnot. Um, and so I think that you can kind of see that just in the way that, uh, certain shots are set up uh, in the way that everything is so economical. I think it's a it it's really a living comic work. book in like the best sense, right? It's like every single frame of this thing looks like it came out of a comic book because it well, literally did. And and like kind of interestingly, compared to like Superman two, which is like a good movie, uh, but but even like modern superhero films, which I will try and shy away from generic uh, uh, complaints about them. Yeah, like, get them. There's like there's like a you if you do look at this film and you look at just how intentional everything is, and you look at like or even one of the modern Star Wars films, right? Which is like one of the big arguments, even at Harrison Ford's Harrison Ford's age, if you just like think about kingdom of the crystal skull and how that movie came out. If you think about what a like kind of recent Disney Indiana Jones movie would look like, it's like kind of horrifying in a way. Uh, like just, I can just imagine Indiana Jones. I, five I go or first. Like yeah. Ford. You go first. I go first. Yeah. You go first. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking we're going first. And it, yeah. It just, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's like seeing like a super CGI Indiana Jones would just like kind of, ruin everything for me i know we already got that but yeah it's a bummer to think about just like do exactly logan where he has to fight like a younger evil amoral version of himself i would i would i would pay to see that yeah i mean i would pay to see it too but like would i would i be fulfilled would i be happy you know no i would i wouldn't i don't i don't think uh while we're at it we should quickly oh i'm sorry go ahead oh no i was just gonna say my my headcanon is going to be that um, in the next Indiana Jones film, he finds a device to turn back time. He goes back in time and uh, it's Alden Ehrenreich is young Indiana Jones. Please continue. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say like, and maybe this is, this is hypocrisy on my part and I'm, I'm fully uh, willing to concede that, but like, I'm a really, really big fan of Harrison Ford um, partially because he is such a strange uh, blockbuster actor and i think this is one of the best demonstrations of that and it's utilized to its best effect because like i don't think that the human almost hilariously gruff sam spade-esque version of indiana jones that we see i don't think it exists without harrison ford who like we said is like 
I Harrison Ford has basically always been hot Humphrey Bogart. And like, that is just the <laughs> best thing that you can have. Right. Is that like, he's never been a good fit for a traditional heartthrob because he's too angry and he's too gruff and he's too much of an old man. And like, as he's gotten older, that's only become more apparent, but like, that's the best for this. And so like, just like it works so well in a much more subversive sense in like something like Blade Runner um, or just like it gives Han Solo the sort of like amoral hard edge that that character needs here. It like really sells the idea that like Indiana Jones is not a hero. He is like a somewhat weird and gruff and amoral um, criminal like international criminal. Right. And like, that is, that is something that, that Harrison Ford's performance really sells here. And he just has a lot of the like unbelievably iconic to use your word, uh, line readings in this. Like I shouted it out before, but like when, when the, the pet snake is inside that, that guy's plane and he's like, there's a snake in here. Like the way that he just fucking snarls is so good. Like I just, he's like, he's like, feral and like my favorite depiction of indiana jones is after um he thinks that marion is dead and he just goes full like i'm the fucking joker indiana jones now where like he's he's in that um he's in that restaurant and he's talking to Bellic and he's like, you want to see God? Let's go see him together. I've got nothing better to do. The fucking hate that radiates off of this dude. When he says that line, it's like something only Harrison Ford could sell because only Harrison Ford is that hateful of a human being. And like, I just, I just (laughs) eat that shit up. Uh, I do, uh, I guess, going back to hating on modern blockbuster, I, and I, I love the Fast and Furious movies, but, like, if you read uh, a lot of articles about, I think specifically, like, Hobbs and Shaw or, like, uh, the the eighth movie, um, there's just, like, a lot about how, like, each of the biggest stars of those movies have, like, in their contract, like, very specific limits on how much they can be beaten up on, like... Uh, how much you can see their characters like having violence done to them because it will impact their like movie star image. Uh, and, and one thing I was watching an, an interview with Spielberg about this film and uh, Harrison Ford would like insist on doing a lot of his stunts, which is like kind of problematic. Uh, but he would also just like ask to be beat up like more and more. Like he very specifically did not want to be the kind of like the superhero character. Yeah. They just can like, take every single blow. I mean, we talked about him like taking a bunch of punches earlier, but like he gets so beat up in this movie and Harrison Ford would continually ask, like beat me up even more. Let me actually do that. Cause I want to get roughed up a little bit. Like I want to look like a dude who is just like seen some shit. And that's like part of like the physical character of like seeing Harrison Ford is like his character does feel like he gets kind of more rugged uh, towards the end of the movie. Like he, he starts accumulating scars and he, he it like it feels real in that manner in a way that I think you don't see. I think the recent Mad Max movie did that really well, uh, but I, I struggle to think of other examples. It's it's really good, man. Right, like at, by the end of it, it's like Harrison Ford or like Indiana Jones can barely talk. Like he's really been like like feralized by the end of this movie. Right? In a really good way, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Battle Damage Indiana Jones is a good version of Indiana Jones. Um, well, we're here at uh, an hour 20. Does anybody else have anything else to squeeze out? I think we've had a really, really good conversation about Indiana Jones. Uh, Karen Allen's we'll really good in this movie. I like uh, it. Yeah, visit, see, see Karen Allen in, uh, in uh, a year before this, in uh, where she's uh, starring opposite another um, psychopath in, in a leather jacket, uh, Al Pacino in 
cruising, <laughs> which we covered on this podcast with special guest uh, Ben Savard. Go back and listen to that. Um, yeah, she uh, she honestly like even as a kid, I think she stole a lot of the scenes uh, that she like. She's sort of I don't know. Again, we've talked about how she's not like thoroughly used as her like quote unquote strong built autonomous character uh later on in the movie but like even the scenes where she isn't the uh, belloc scene with the knife and the dress the um snake scene we like we don't need to talk about how it's ridiculous that she has uh that there's that freak out horror scene when she falls that's like a perfect example of the kind of self-indulgence that i that really makes this movie less than perfect for me exactly i you know it, it worked to me as a kid because i'm like wow that would be really scary but uh and and just as a side note in one of the deleted scenes like right after that she, like indiana pulls her out of the thing and she says the worst dream i've ever had and it's like okay so they wrote in the fact that it's not supposed to be like really what happened but it is definitely like having their cake and eating it too type thing to remove that um but yeah i i like she takes away most of the scenes that she's in uh just because she's got a very like um you know i don't know just a very uh, yeah she's got spunk. she's got a very like magnetic presence she's been established as somebody who can you know hold her liquor even against uh susan boyle she's got a real like uh presence there right that that you wouldn't expect from from the heroine she makes a lot of performance choices that are really smart. I think like she, to me, she plays Marion very young. Like, and I don't know if that's just her acting style or like, but there's something about like her, her bright eyes and like her enthusiasm and her spunk. Like I said that, like it really, you can really feel the age difference between she and Indiana Jones, which like, again, is like maybe problematic. Right. But like, it really makes Marion work for me because like, like all of her reactions become very grounded in who she is as a person. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it, it like, especially her, like her urge to self-determine where she's like, I'm, she's like a, a somewhat defensive, uh, kid basically. And, and like, exactly. Yeah. There's that, like the whole concept of Indiana Jones, like as he went on is like, he's almost like he's getting too old for this shit. You know, the line, not the years, it's the mileage sort of thing, uh, makes its debut in this movie. And as like, not foil to that, but as contrast to that, she's very young, uh, not inexperienced though, you know, like she owns her own bar. She lives in Tibet with her dad, that sort of thing, like built as a character who has uh self-determination, like you said, but a youthful, like affable ignorance to an extent that isn't like used as a weapon against her. Right. I always wish that they had delved more into her possible resentment for Indiana Jones because he was always, yeah. Indy was always the apple of her father's eye. And I'm, I'm thinking like, if I'm a daughter and I'm like, I'm also as comp- hyper competent, mythologically competent as Marion. I would think you would sort of resent Indiana Jones. Instead, she sort of falls in love with him as like a pseudo father figure. It's rough, yeah. but you know, uh, it is. It is unfortunate. Um, maybe we'll get that in the new Indiana Jones video game de- being developed by uh, Machine Games if that ever actually comes out. I feel like I think that that game is set among the years in which he was supposed to have had this tryst and tumultuous relationship with Marion. Um, so we'll, we'll see, maybe, maybe they'll pull it in. I mean, go back to Kingdom of the crystal skull. If you want to see them being angry at each other more, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's most of my high points. Um, anybody else? Uh, Aaron brought this up. It sucks that John Reese Davies is apparently a pretty shitty dude. Uh, he's fucking amazing in this movie. <laughs> he's so good. He's got a good singing voice, just a hearty from the, from the, from the chest singing voice, you know? Like classically trained Shakespearean actor in a, uh, you know, somewhat 
I won't say low role, but like obviously proletariat, right? He's, he's hired on as part of Indy's crew to like be the covert muscle. He's, he's there to like, you know, to blend in. Uh, and yet he's got real talent behind it. Again, unfortunate that for myriad reasons, he's kind of an asshole in real life because he brings it for this movie and later on for, uh, last crusade. Uh, Cody, you're the only one who hasn't chimed in anything else before we go to your final Uh, segment. I'm good. I, I didn't realize I needed to, to verbally, verbally confirm, but no, I I'm, I'm good. This I was... just want to leave it all open. This is, you know, I, yeah. I, I I brought the text and I want to make sure everybody gets a peek uh, and everybody gets to gets to comment. Uh, For sure. Harry, do we do we have a final segment to ring in? I would love to ring in the final segment. Uh, it's a segment that is very near and dear to my own heart. And we call it <gasps> Cody's Noties. Cody's Noties. I was very nervous. I was Cody's very nervous. Notes. I wouldn't. Uh, wow. Oh, sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, that was a nice little flourish. Uh, you took breaths at different times, and I was very, very concerned that that would Me too. derail. Uh, but it came together well, the best quite nicely. In the biz, baby, you don't got to worry about it. The best in the biz. Yes. Uh, for sure. Thank you, as always, for that that handsome uh, introduction. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, it definitely has its place in film history as a, a standalone work, and it also has a a certain significance as part of a series of films. Uh, at the time of this recording, as it's been alluded to, four Indiana Jones movies have been made and released, so I figured it might be uh, informative to see how they stack up against one another in a, a little trivia sesh. Uh, together, we'll we'll see whom's among us will achieve the most Indiana knowns. Uh, that's knowns, like K-N-O-W-N-S. Uh, We're up against the number one trivia winner in yeah, both Minnesota and Indiana. Mop the floor with us. And, yeah, and because nobody's and, playing that game for the past six years, I think I'm still the reigning champ. <laughs> yeah, we're thinking you're back. Um, and I, I guess to to clarify, you know, quick breakdown of this: this is not just going to be uh, trivia about you know one of Jason's home states here. Uh, you know, these Indiana knowns that would be a little unfair. Uh, instead, I'll I'll run through some various facts that pertain to the Indiana Jones films. Each fact will relate to exactly one of the films in the franchise. Your job will be to determine which Indiana Jones film connects to each statement. So I'll read each statement one at a time. After each statement, I'll ask you all in, uh, we'll say reverse alphabetical by first name order, which Indiana Jones installment you think uh, is is being mentioned, which one is associated. If you're correct, you get a point, And the person with the most points at the end wins. As a reminder to everyone, the four films currently in the Indiana Jones saga officially are as follows. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones, uh, and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, and as always, Trivia Mafia rules apply here, so use your noodles, not your Googles. Um, with that, we can uh, we can jump in. I, this uh, is just, just a comment. This is going to be really, yeah. really, really, really embarrassing if I don't win this. Uh, yeah, not, you set up quite the expectation yeah. here. Yeah, I regret this. Um, I mean, don't put the cart before the horse. Maybe, maybe some good stuff will happen. But we'll start here with uh, with this one. Uh, this Indiana known. Uh, this Indiana Jones film made the least amount of money at the worldwide box office. Uh, Jason, we'll start with you. Which one? Which one is that? I'm gonna we'll say go Last yeah. Crusade. Jason says Last Crusade. Uh, Harry. What's your guess? I guess I'll go with. Uh, can I? I can't guess. Last Crusade. You can. You can double up on guesses or triple up on guesses. 
Uh, it seems like unfair. I guess I'll ah uh, man, Last Crusade is the right is the the one I'll guess. Yeah. All right, Last Crusade and Aaron. Uh, I think I'm uh, Temple of Doom. I'll guess. Temple you think maybe Doom? people heard about Temple of Doom early and stopped going? <laughs> They're like, hey, I heard uh heard, heard about how good this movie is. No good. <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, Temple of Doom, in fact took in the least amount of box office revenue, uh, ending its run with about $333 million worldwide. Uh, next wow, in line is uh, Raiders with about $390 million, and then Last Crusade with about $474 million. Um, you forgot about Sean Sp- Connery. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I wasn't going to say anything. I was kind of surprised. But then I was like, oh, maybe Temple of Doom had a like a momentum from Raiders. That's you know, what I was thinking, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I was thinking that like it was an Empire Strike Back situation. Yeah, yeah, you would think. Uh, but Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you know, of course, pulled in the big bucks, seven hundred ninety million dollars worth of Jesus worldwide Christ. ticket sales. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what two thousand eight. Movies, movies do. became like ridiculous in like relatively recently. Weirdly, yeah. Um, not too ridiculously. Hopefully, uh, the second Indiana known. Uh, this Indiana Jones film was the only entry in the franchise to not get released in the month of May. The month of May. The month of May. Uh, Jason, what is uh, what is your guess for that? I'm going with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark says Jason. Uh, Harry, what do you say? Um, I'll go with Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull and Aaron. What you think? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Raiders as well. Uh, Aaron goes with Raiders. Uh, it is indeed Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, the um. Ooh. The first film of the series was released on June 12th, 1981. The other three all came out pretty much the same weekend in the respective release years, which is May 20-something uh, across the board. Um, yeah, the quick score check. Uh, we got Aaron is two for two. Jason's on the board with one. Harry uh, is just one behind Jason. Um with zero, a uh, little context before we get into before we get into number three. Uh, Philip Kaufman, uh, he's had a, a notable enough career in Hollywood. He has writing credits for films like The Right Stuff and The Unbearable Lightness of Being. He also directed those movies, and he directed the '70s adaptation of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, good movie, if memory serves. Um, this Indiana Jones film did not have Kaufman as a credited writer. Uh, Jason, which one was that? I'm going to go Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Harry? It's a good guess. I'll go with uh, Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom says Harry and Aaron. Uh, I'm trying to think if he was on Raiders. That's I'm, the question, isn't it? I'm going to. Uh, I think it's. I, he must have been. But he wanted to. They wanted it. George Lucas wanted him to direct Raiders. Uh, but he was busy, but he still probably has a, uh, I'll, I'll go, uh, crystal skull, crystal skull. Yeah. He was busy that day for sure. Um, so the, the missing Indiana Jones installment from Kaufman's writing resume is in fact, temple of doom. Uh, he got, he got story Ah. credit for Raiders, uh, and then credit for quote unquote characters in last crusade and kingdom of the crystal skull. I'm not going to examine too closely what that might mean. It could mean a lot of things. What if Indiana Jones had a dad? Uh, hey, maybe. <laughs> what if Indiana uh, Jones had a son? It's probably Mary, right? Aliens? Like it's it's probably just they use some elements of something you've written about. Well, I, guess I, I mean, don't... No, Crusade, like Marion's not in Crusade. Uh, I, I, it's got to be 
it's got to be Henry Jones Sr., right? Hey, because that is a, Henry that, Jones yeah. Sr. appears in one photo. He in is Kingdom. in one scene. Yes, he's mm-hmm. in the photo that he stares at. Yes, maybe it's that. That that is a that is a question. A question we'll pack away into the Indiana Jones warehouse and never look at again. Maybe, uh, but until that time, uh, we've got number four here. All four Harrison Ho- uh, Harrison Ford portrayals of Indiana Jones have been nominated for a Best <laughs> Actor. Uh, what? They're come on. They're their own thing. Uh, Her- they've all been Harrison nominated. The Horde. Did I say Harrison Horde? Anyways, uh, moment, the Harrison Horde. You said Harrison, Harrison Horde. The, the, wow, yeah, let's just laugh at me tripping over my own goddamn pronunciations. Uh, the Harrison Horde will have something to say to you after the show. Uh, until then, they've uh, all four performances have been nominated for a Best Actor Saturn Award, and that's an award that comes to us from the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Uh, this Indiana Jones film saw Harrison Ford win the Saturn Award for Best Actor. Jason? I am going to say Kingdom because I feel like that's the the gimme, like, doesn't really matter award. Sure. Uh, Sounds good. Um, Harry, what is your guess? That is a good guess, Jason. I'll do um, Last Crusade because it feels like that's the one where, like, those movies are a big enough deal that everyone has to, like, sort of acknowledge them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Understandable. Uh, And Aaron, what's your guess? I'm probably shooting myself in the foot here, but I think I think guessing Crystal Skull for that is like a wild. I guess I don't. I'm trying to remember the reaction to that. Uh, I'm going to go Crusade, Last Crusade as well. I think Last Crusade. I'm going to have air on my face potentially here. Uh, you all will potentially. This will be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, some other fun tidbits uh, that are related. Ford won a a Saturn Lifetime Achievement Award in 1996, and uh, his other Best Actor Saturn win is for his performance of Han Solo in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. Wow, these awards. What? (laughs) What? Uh, Who? I found them on IMDb.com. Um. Yeah, the, he's the, good. In, he's good in Force Awakens. Yeah, sure. he's, yeah, he's yeah. good. You know, yeah. he's Harrison Ford. In yeah, it. it's just perfectly fine. Yeah, it's, yeah. My, one of my yeah. favorite things ever is that in uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, he's just wearing that fucking gray tank top or that gray shirt the whole time. <laughs> he looks like he just rolled out of bed. Hell yeah, King uh, Vinny! Uh, I, I just showed up wearing this, so this is what we're gonna roll with. All right, yeah, I don't want to do costumes for this movie, so. I'm not putting on I'm your dancing costume. Very good. Uh, shout out to Harrison Ford, uh, who just joined us for this episode, uh, apparently. Um, quick check at the scoreboard here as we go into our last Indiana known. Uh, we've got Aaron still in the lead with two, and Jason and Neri both bringing up the rear with one, uh, uh, technically in the rear. Um, and it gives me an excuse to say in the rear. Uh, in the rear of these questions is number five. Uh, similar to what we've done in previous games, I'm going to read off four quotes, one for each Indiana Jones movie, allegedly uttered by various people in real life. Uh, three of these utterances will be for real, again, allegedly. Uh, don't sue us. Uh, and one will be fake. Uh, your task is to pick out the fake quote. So I'll read off the four quotes along with their attributions and leave it to each of you to pick out the imposter afterward. Uh, so starting with Raiders of the Lost Ark, this is Steven Spielberg. What kept us going was the thought that David Lean had done this every day for a year. David Lean was our criterion for survival. Uh, so that was Raiders. Uh, Temple of Doom next. Uh, we've got screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan. I didn't want to be associated with Temple of Doom. I just thought it was horrible. It's so mean. 
I think Temple of Doom represents a chaotic period in both George and Steve's lives. So that's that. Uh, <laughs> I want that cru- to be real very badly. Uh, uh, Last Crusade, uh, we've got Jeffrey Bohm, who is another screenwriter. It's an archaeological search for Indy's own identity and coming to accept his father. That's more what it's about than the quest for the Grail. So that was Last Crusade. And finally, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. This is Harrison Ford. There's no aspect of Karen Allen's behavior that was not consistent with this lovely person she's playing. So which one of those is the imposter quote, Jason? Uh, I I have so much to lose, but I'm going to go with the one from Temple of Doom because I feel Temple like that's a quote Doom. I really want to be real and in a just world would be, but we do not live in a just world, so can't be real. Understood. Uh, Harry, what's your guess? I'll go with Raiders. Raiders and Aaron, what you got? Uh, all I have to do in order to troll and be a legend and piss off Jason is pick the same guess as him, but I will not do that because I am an honorable man and like giving him a chance to tie up the scoreboard here. I will pick the quote for Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Now watch um, it be the quote from Last Crusade. Fuck you all. Um, uh, really quick, Jason, if you want to take down the timestamp, I made the mistake of letting Chaco out of the bathroom and he's climbing on shit. Do you mind holding on for just like 20 seconds while I... This is killing me. This is actually a good bit for this pod. Yeah, I might leave this in. Yeah, the cat just fucking. Gotta have a drum uh, roll of some kind. Shit. Yeah. Well, I guess in that case, Chuck, is there anything you would like to say to the fine folks? Can you talk? Can you say anything? What's up, buddy? (laughs) Meow. That was me. Can I get you to talk? Whoa! Whoa! You're not gonna. You're not gonna say anything. Okay. Goose. There, did you hear that? Chaco the voiced. It'll just be a second, buddy. All right, we're back at it, folks. Uh, Thank you all for tuning back in to Indiana Knowns. uh, This has been Chaco's noties. Bring back Chaco. I can't make that. It sound good in a cat voice. Uh, the the correct answer, uh, and by that I mean the actual imposter quote, is D, the quote for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, the real version Fuck. of this al- alleged quote is as follows. This is Ford speaking about Kate Blanchett, uh, who's a character in that movie. There's no aspect of her behavior that was not consistent with this bizarre person she's playing. Uh, so take that for what it's worth. Um, what was he referring to? Her, her, her character. Evil Russian? Yeah. yeah yeah he's he's being a silly goose probably hopefully um y'all are silly gooses uh least of which maybe aaron who who got two points and is therefore the victor uh, i just wanted a more just wanted a more cody you know when you have this kind of passion and drive uh the you know you want to win something you just win yeah you know? i, I think i is. hate this movie now yeah i think you're right yes yes oh no <laughs> that's how harry outside. wins yeah, that's, that's all right, Jason. Well, thank you, Cody. That was that was delightful as always. That was delightful, and um, I hope Chaco makes a return appearance. Uh, that would be a wonderful way to close out our episodes. Um, this has been an episode about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, you will not probably see this at the trial line anytime soon, though. Who knows? Uh, we are approaching uh, its. That was not a word. We are approaching its 40th anniversary of its release in the United States. Oh, Jason, um, did you just say brooching? We are brooching. This, this yeah, I've ever just brooching. said brooching. 
We're approaching its 40th release, 40th anniversary of its release in the US. Uh, so I guess find it where you can. I was thinking about purchasing it in a 4K UHD Blu-ray or whatever, but it appears that does not exist yet. Damn. That is coming out this June. Uh, so... Um, but until then, you'll be able to catch us with another few episodes in hopefully the Boys Pick series. Uh, I don't know who's next, and I don't know what movie we're doing, so do not ask me. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. And, or, well, I guess I should probably plug the Trilon anyway. You can go to the Trilon uh, these days in limited quantities while you're double masked without any food or drink, uh, while you're appropriately distanced from other people. So go to Trilon.org to find a playlist of what they are currently playing. We will be retweeting episodes of our podcast. Uh, in accordance with what is playing at the theater these days. Uh, you can also find merch, uh, club membership, and a whole lot of other cool ways to support them during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, be vaccinated if you can. Uh, wear masks because you can. And um, uh, be be well. My name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, piggybacking off of the great things Jason just said, uh, if you are listening to this episode about the comparatively very accessible Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's like a reasonable chance that you have not listened to any episodes before this. Um, so thank you for for sticking it out. That's very cool of you. Um, we've recorded on too many movies uh, in the past. Uh, feel free to peruse those or don't. That's totally cool too. Just, you know, be good to each other out in the world. Uh, that is number one priority. Uh be safe, be well. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Addressing new listeners is just like, that's why you're the best in the biz, Cody. Um, now that I've proven to be the most hated member of Try Love, uh, I guess I should do the same. I'm probably not quite as insufferable on other episodes wherein I really like the movies that we watch, but uh, your mileage may vary. Um, if you want to... Um, yell at me about my hatred of Indiana Jones uh, or America or the history of American ideology. Um, I'm on Twitter at Shiitake Harry um, and I can take it much like Indy can take it. So um, hit me up, I guess, uh, and listen to our podcast because it's, it's very fun to make. Uh, I am private on Twitter, so if you are not one of the blessed few who already uh, follows me and I follow you back, there's nothing you can say to me. There is nothing you can do. I am impervious to any of your criticisms, and I do not listen to you. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at RBPlease, uh, and yeah, uh, stay safe. Look at this. It's worthless. $10 from a vendor in the street. But I take it, I bury it in the sand for a thousand years, it becomes priceless. Like this podcast. Thank you.